Ladies and gentlemen, you're about to experience the Gut Check Project, talking science, health, and innovation that you can actually use. But this isn't just another health show. We're here to have fun and make your time enjoyable. Well, while you are enjoying yourself, know that even though the GCP covers some health topics with healthcare pros, we are not your doctors. So use our show to entertain your mind and not for medical advice. And now, here are your hosts of the Gut Check Project, Dr. Ken Brown and Eric Rieger. So uh, let's just for for sake of, of picking a topic out of out of uh, the issues of of pain during sex or sexual dysfunction. What happened to be the top two or three complaints of possibly a female and a possible two or three complaints of a male? You said erectile dysfunction for for men, for instance. Mm-hmm. What happens to be the, the, some others that are associated with that. Yeah. So, uh, and, and I think this is a really interesting topic. I don't know how deep we want to go into it or if I want to go there, but especially with my male patients, I, I've had more than a handful of guys who injure themselves, um, during masturbation, watching porn. Like it's, it's a thing, like it's a thing, you know, it's and cause it's all muscles. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, there's people who come because it's like, ouch, this happened. Okay. It's like, I feel this pain in like the scrotal area or, you know, wherever it is in their male anatomy. It's like, well, when did it start? Well, you know, this one instance and, you know, and it's just, it's basically a muscle strain. Like that happens more often than you would think. So they can even pinpoint like the time. Yeah. Or the, okay. Yeah. So, so can you, Explain the mechanism of that. Like, uh, I understand that, like, there there is the aspect of having penile trauma mm-hmm. and usually refer to it as intercourse, and usually it's a situation mm-hmm. where the female's on top, misses, and then you actually... Sure. Tra- you, you, the cavernous cavernosum, the cavernous mm-hmm. sinus cavernosum, whatever it is, I'm not yeah. a urologist, but you actually damage those those yeah. that tissue, mm-hmm. and it actually results in actual trauma. But you're discussing yeah. a muscular strain? Yeah, so a lot of times it ends up being in the perineum, like just a fascial strain across the perineum that like refers up into oh. the base of the shaft or oh. things like that. Yeah, so not necessarily one of those. Are, those can be wicked injuries. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Just, yeah. Um, no. And so again, that's where uh, those injuries also end up being multifactorial because, you know, I'm sure you've seen the studies about how like viewing porn can do a lot to the mirror motor neurons in your brain. And it can, it, it can transcend not just your physical performance, but also your, you know, your relationships, et cetera, et cetera, not to go too far down that route. But, um, you know, normally in a scenario like that, that's when it's like, okay, well, what else is going on either with yourself or with your partner? What's your stress like um, with these patients, especially, or just m- most sexual health patients? Mm-hmm. I find it very valuable to also get a counselor who specializes in sex counseling. So not necessarily like a sex therapist to teach you different things, but someone to help you process things around the things that you're experiencing. This is super fascinating to me because let's get back to that parasympathetic sympathetic situation. Mm-hmm. If if somebody is watching porn and there happens, I grew up Catholic, so there's always this subcomponent of guilt or things, or you're saying that no, I know this is not there. Then you can what should be the parasympathetic response of an erection leading to the sympathetic response of an orgasm. You now, if you've got the brain involved where you're starting to set off a little bit of sympathetic situation where it should be parasympathetic, then I could see where muscles 
are contracting when they shouldn't. Uh-huh. Interesting. Yep. So, you know, which I don't, I cannot remember the name of this study for the life of me. And I can, I'll look it up after this, but, um, there's been studies done looking at like, um, uh, sexual dysfunction, especially dyspareunia. So like the pain with penetration. So kind of going back into the female issue, but higher prevalence of that in the Bible belt or in areas where there's heavier religious things. And and I think what I, what is important to point out, and I don't know, this, this has been, the studies I have seen has been based on like, you know, U S Southern Bible belt area. Right. Uh So you know, I'm, I don't know if that means more than like, you know, you would assume Christianity. I don't know if that means if there's been studies done with other religions or, or anything else, this is just speaking to this thing. And I don't know that it's necessarily like, Oh, I, I believe in Jesus. So I can't handle this stuff. I think it's more about just the culture of education and mm-hmm. the stigma behind what, what intercourse is, what sexual expression is and what it isn't and how the, the, the lack of comfort and being able to communicate that in your home to your children and, and what it means. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially like with older patients or, you know, patients who are maybe, I don't know, just different, different generations. And, you know, when you try to talk to them about sexual health, it's just like, this is not relevant. You know, it's like, we do not need to talk about this, but it's like, well, but it is so I can better understand. Sure. And you know, you don't push it, but you know that I think that the, it's really great the studies that are being done. And I think there's so many more variables that can be looked into that because again, it is multifactorial and it's like, you know, it's not that it's it, the message clearly is being pushed that sex is bad, sex is dangerous. And that's, that's not, I mean, and you know, when we're talking about from the Christian perspective, like sex is supposed to be celebrated. And I think we just don't do a great job of teaching the youth. Well, if we're being honest, I mean, I would say that most humans, uh, is, is especially when you're in adolescence and you're becoming an adult, I mean, sex is a pursuit. I mean, it, it is, it is because it's enjoyed. And that's, I mean, to say that it isn't, is you're denying a fact of something that um, that men and women just the same grow and then you're seeking either companionship or a partner there it, it's it's a part of relationship building between a couple it just it is what it is so to deny that i love the fact that you put it in those terms because it should be celebrated it's it's something that you have and even even more importantly you talked about um, the relationship between parasympathetic and sympathetic and the association and the the act of sex and how both parasympathetic and sympathetic uh, nervous systems play a part in that. And earlier in our discussion, you said that as a pelvic floor expert, many times you're confronted with having to help someone through their dysautonomia. So what kinds of activities would you do with someone if you knew that they suddenly were having a, let's just take a male, for instance, he's suddenly having an issue, not with an erection, but having an ejaculation problem, whether it be painful or non-existent, what would be some things you would have to do to dissect an issue like that? Yeah. So, you know, we would want to be looking, there's an easy way to start is we want to look, is is it a weakness issue Mm -hmm. or is it an overactivity issue? Like are the muscles too tight or it could be both. 
So it's really fine tuning through, you know, looking at how their muscles are moving, how they're engaging, what their strength is like. Are they like super overcompensating with hamstrings or quads in their movement? I mean, we can we can either really? do this from a, a fine tuned approach sorry, or a global. Do, do you mean specifically in sexual technique? Like you can. Well, it could be both, right? I mean, because you, you want to think about function. Right. I so, love this because you always start so global. This is this yeah. is fascinating. Keep yeah. going. Keep well, going. I mean, basically, am I underutilizing my hamstrings during sex? <laughs> <laughs> you threw that in. I was like, I don't use I don't a lot know, of hammies. Maybe. I mean, <laughs> it, do you have a problem? Like, I guess that's where let's start there. Like, I mean, maybe the maybe. wife's over there. Like, what are you doing? I'm like stretching out. Don't want to pull a hammy. <laughs> what? Yeah. No. So you know, it. it so, for example, maybe if guy is on bottom that's when they lose it versus if they're standing it's no big deal i'm sorry that's when they will have erectile dysfunction you mean? yeah for example mm. yeah so i mean it, it, so that's where we kind of got to tease out it's like well what are you doing oh, like what's happening are you you know is this where your weakness is kicking in are you really? getting inhibited huh. like, what's going on yeah that's dope yeah so yeah. Wait, but you said inhibited so huh. uh, and 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 i don't want to Go the wrong direction, but were you saying that like inhibited, uh, it could be a physical inhibition, or are you saying that like mentally, like that 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 where they are in position during the act could also be a form of inhibition? I, I don't, I don't know that I follow. So, exactly. so core inhibition, so core muscle inhibition, and different postures can create inhibitions. Okay, and they can be different to each person. So you know, there's kind of that like a really. Just a off, not off topic, but a different example of, mm -hmm. you know, if you're texting and you have your head dropped down, you know, and you're looking at your phone all day like that. I mean, it's going to bother some people. It's not going to bother others. Okay. Right. So okay. It, it, and it, and it comes down to, you know, maybe your those global muscles, like not the core muscles are being overactive in that moment. So your core muscles aren't head of the show. And that, so sometimes pain uh -huh. dysfunction can present itself, not necessarily because of a mechanical block, like a fascial restriction, a joint issue, a muscle issue, but it can be a neuromuscular control issue. The muscles saying WTF, I'm not sure what's going on. And your brain perceives it as pain. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. So, That's okay, so cool. Let's say that you find that out about someone and that happens to be a, a core issue or whatever. What, what are you going to do? I don't know, maybe you just have an example off the top of your head. You, you discovered this in, in patient XY, and then this was the recommended therapy that you put them through to get through that. What are some mm -hmm. techniques that you would do? to? Yeah, so, you know, th there's, there's the whole concept of, like, figuring out mechanically what we need to address. Okay. So, so just real quick, and I'll try to keep it, not go too off on a tangent here. When I'm looking at a patient, we're going to look at mechanically what's going on. So is there something in their joint, fascia, muscles, viscera, mm -hmm. like their guts that's, that's creating dysfunction. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then, so we want to make sure that's figured out. We treat that. And then we want to make sure the neuromuscular control is back online. So we re-educate the muscles, the area that we just treated. Mm -hmm. And then we want to make sure that now they're taking that and using it efficiently in life. Right. So, um, for example, like if we're kind of going back into the sexual function example, mm -hmm. I mean, an easy one is, you know, f the guy that's on his back, you know, he just has to get his posterior compartment more engaged. Like he has to work on being able to breathe, being able to get that diaphragm coordination. So no, he's not thinking about kegeling while he's having intercourse. Right. But he's thinking about his breath pattern during this because you can directly affect the impact the pelvic floor by your breath. Fantastic. So we're doing the 
breath coordination while maybe we give him an exercise of like a banded hip thrust for home. Like, so that would be his home exercise. Okay. Okay. So you're weak here. So let's take time to actually focus on how you breathe while you're in a functional position, kind of like the pooping and blowing bubbles. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, let's take this out of, you know, it's like, you know, learn how to dribble the basketball and then try to pass to your teammate. Right. So it's like, get strong where you need to be strong and then add another stimulus to the environment or to this. What I find interesting about this is that once again, coming to the holistic picture, I've had a lot of friends that have gone through divorce and I have a lot of friends that have come to me as they start dating and there's stress with that. There's a lot of stress with that. And there's randomness when it comes down to having what we would perceive as losing it or erectile dysfunction and having this variable. But the funny part about it is, is it, it comes down to this, um, fixation, fear, and you're like, oh, it must be mental. But now what you're saying is not only is it mental, but you may be changing your breath pattern due to a sympathetic concern. And then your body automatically has the path of least resistance from a neuromuscular aspect. And now you're contracting the wrong muscles because your body's trying to protect you from it, which ultimately results in loss of erection. Correct. That makes sense. So then when you're standing, you're unable to engage with certain muscles. Fascinating. Yeah. Absolutely fascinating. Because I, I know there's no none of my urology friends talk like this. No. This is cool as shit. And, and you could probably correct me if I'm wrong, but if I'm just to build upon, uh, upon what you just described, that's a great scenario. Um, if you're putting someone through the, uh, the exercise of retraining, retraining the breathing, let's say there is a component of, of the mental doubt of, of finding the new partner really what you're helping them do also in addition to the mechanical stuff is you're actually giving their brain permission to, to remember that you're built to do this. You can do this. This is your body's meant to do this. You can, I mean, it's almost like you're re-liberating their minds to accept the fact that they can go and move on. And like, as you put it, can go and date someone new and, and not have this mental block. Yeah. And then think of the liberation that it would do for love, intimacy, and sexual encounter if your partner understands that it's, if so, if their partner, if their male partner loses an erection, and obviously we're, I'm, I'm referring mostly to heterosexual, you know, intercourse here, um, if their male partner loses an erection and it is in a situation of it's me, it's like, let's, let's change positions. Maybe, like, you could take control and be like, maybe that is because you have a neuromuscular issue that's happening here and it's almost empowering it becomes something fun playful yeah engaging as opposed to stressful well and that's actually going back to like one of the reasons i wanted to do women's health uh you know it's like i could see even as like i wasn't engaged married or anything but you just see if you observe the world you see how strained intimacy can really impact marriages or relationships on a pretty drastic level and so if you know, it's like, no, I'm not a counselor, but also I can offer something that counselors can't offer, you know, a mm-hmm. piece to the puzzle. And it's like, you know, if I really, it brings me joy to know that people, people are happier, they're having healthier relationships. And so it just ended up being like threefold that, you know, we could do this stuff. I actually, in preparation for this, I went on up to date and I started looking at pelvic floor issues and there's a whole article on gastrointestinal health and sexual dysfunction. Mm-hmm. And then today I got one of my journals that came in a helio gastroenterology journal. And there was an article on gastroenterologist involvement in sexual dysfunction. 
very boring article didn't cover any of the shit that we're talking about which is way cooler yeah but then uh, that brings up the fact that i do a lot of what people would consider once they break down that intimate barrier or if i treat a hemorrhoid or if they come in and i've done multiple rectals i get asked questions that i didn't know how to answer which a lot of it is sexual a lot of it ends up being that i have um you know intercourse with my husband a female that has intercourse with her husband and you know, they've got gut issues. I saw a video that you did where you discussed specifically uh, vagismus and dyspareunia and explain just real briefly the muscles, how you were teaching your patients how to self-diagnose. Uh, like to self-mobilize. I think it was to think self-mobilize. self-mobilize. Yeah. yeah. So um, like in that example, it was like, okay, so if you have a tightness issue, so, and this, this is, so I kind of had a couple thoughts talking about the, um, global system. So, um, with a vaginismus patient, a lot of times I won't, will assess the pelvic floor, maybe do an intravaginal assessment if they are, you know, consent is the biggest factor in that situation, right? Always. Um, and just to get a baseline to see how tight they are, how, what, what their strength is like, um, or what their pain uh, threshold is. And then we leave it at that. And then I step back and treat things globally. So I'll do cranial work. We'll work on diaphragmatic breathing, rib cage mobility, visceral work, you know, get everything calmed down. And then maybe three or four sessions later, we'll check back in and see if they have better tolerance to that penetration. And then that's when we start adding in those mobilizations, which a self mobilization would be like, you know, so if we're talking about female anatomy here, you can just take like the tip of your thumb and you would, you know, if you're looking on the camera here, you would put it at the bottom of the introitus or which is the vaginal opening. That's the Mm -hmm. medical word for vaginal opening. Um, so you'd put it in and then we're not massaging because massage doesn't, you know, massage has therapeutic value, but it's not necessarily addressing the fascia per se. Um, our intention is to address the fascia. So we're approximating the tissue, putting a little bit of pressure down and holding while you breathe into that. And then maybe- I'm sorry, when uh you say breathe in, what type of breathing would you do? So nasal breathing. Okay. So this would be a great place to practice the diaphragm breathing, which is most everybody's homework Uh, with one of my patients or with my patients. um, They would be practicing their diaphragm breathing as they would be feeling that stretch or that tension or trying to retrain the brain that it's not a threatening stimulus. Okay. Because vaginismus can be insidious, you know, maybe there's, maybe there isn't a history of trauma, but there could be a history of trauma. You know, it just kind of depends, or maybe it is the, you know, I had that fourth degree tear, I tore, you know, from the V hole to the B hole, right? Like, (laughs) and you got, you know, there's some fear that can be associated. Um, And then you, you know, you get comfortable with just that pressure with the breath and then you maybe add some leg movement in or some upper body movement in, right? Because you're not just a sack of potatoes. Sure. Right? Like, right. So we just try to make it functional. Um, and then with, uh, you know, a lot of times with vaginismus, that's when we look at dilator sets, you know, so, and and anybody, because a lot of times people will search social media and and try to be their own pelvic floor therapist, which I think is great that you, you self-advocate and you want to, because not everybody can get in front of a pelvic floor therapist, but just a little uh, word to the wise, when you're working through a dilator set, which is, you know, like a, a silicone or plastic phallic shaped object they can be from different uh different sizes being from like pinky width to mm-hmm. jumbo size um you want to make sure that you're not having penetrative intercourse while you're working through your 
dilator sets because we do want to make sure that it's a controlled environment, that your nervous system is not perceiving a threat and that you are in control. So the idea is that they work through whatever stimulus they can tolerate and then slowly work through as they move up in sizes to whatever their goal size is. Typically the goal is their size of their partner. So this brings up a really different perspective on how possibly uh, the effectiveness of your practice could be impacted, not in the way that you approach the patient, but so we, we've talked about issues of, of the male and the female, both that would come to you. What, what is the importance of the partner at home who isn't coming to you to understand what the person who's coming to you to, to go through in the therapy? I mean, if you have a female who's coming in with, with any of those problems or dyspareunia and you're coaching her through, and just like you said, we're at session four, and you're almost reevaluating how well these things are working. You, you would imagine they're probably still at least engaging in sex of some kind with their partner or vice versa. The guy's having either erectile dysfunction or problems with uh, ejaculation. He's probably still trying to have intimacy with his, his partner between sessions and, and trying to live life. What kind of direction are the partners at home who aren't seeking your help? What kind of direction do they need to be understanding and, kind of be a facilitator of, of the therapy. Yeah. So clearly patients, right? And I think a lot of that involves like, what is the source? Is it an injury issue? Is it more of just a chronic condition that has slowly arisen? Mm-hmm. Like whatever the, the source of pain or dysfunction may be, you know, having patience to that, but also, you know, it's, it's hard to, you know, empathy is, is, a bittersweet thing, right? Because if somebody's truly empathetic, that means they've gone through what you've gone through. So you don't you don't always want somebody to be empathetic, but you do want them to be sympathetic, mm-hmm. right? And and be able to give you your space. So I think communication is really important. Um, it can be hard to talk about, but what I you know when I send my patients home, because a lot of times the the test is okay. Your homework is to go have sex, and let's talk about it next time. Mm-hmm. How did it go? Um, is to look at it, how, you know, communicate with their partner that we're looking at it like data collection. Okay. Each time that they you know try again, because if you think of it, it's like oh we're gonna have try to have sex, and the goal is to have you know sex to completion, then that can be really disheartening if, you know, you're just not there yet. Like that's just, you, you know, you, you haven't, you haven't worked up to that yet. So if you think of it more as like, okay, let's see what our limits are today. And you're collecting that data so that you have more to work on, then it's not as, as overwhelming and frustrating. Um, but that's where, you know, it, and sometimes, you know, I do, there can be times where it's like, okay, y'all need to go to counseling like you need to bring Mm -hmm. someone else in this Mm -hmm. and that that part aspect might be a little bit outside of my scope of practice on how to navigate because again you know uh painful intercourse or just sexual dysfunction is typically multifactorial and as you know if it is like anorgasmia like lack of orgasm or painful orgasm it may not be a mechanical issue Mm -hmm. right if especially for like a mom or you know kind of the the homemaker it's like you know you're up all night you're um you're washing dishes you're doing laundry you're overstimulated because there's all the noises in the house and and it's like are you really gonna want to like most people that doesn't create an environment to really relax and, and want to be intimate. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and if those ex, a lot of times those expectations aren't clearly communicated or 
you know, the partners aren't on the same page about what to expect. So I think communication is always important. And the the value of having a third party there to help you navigate that communication can be really powerful, even if it's just a couple times. Um, I know there can be a stigma with counseling, but I mean, it's like, you'll get a trainer. Why won't you, you know, like... So really interesting. I list, I did listen to a podcast where I went down a rabbit hole where I was listening to a podcast about uh, birth control pills and whatever, just a bunch of science behind it. Now, uh, I would love to find this person. She's a professor at SMU and she wrote the book and uh, that led to another podcast where somebody was discussing sexual health. It was an all female um, uh, I think it said like she's a sexual health expert related to just female stuff and she was discussing the role of desire and if it's not like desire can be brought on and she said exactly what you said she's like if you're a mom and you're doing the dishes and you're doing this and your significant other suddenly is like in the mood and you're not and then it becomes a social stigma she specifically brought up the fact that physically you're not there and then it comes back to that same thing where if you're mentally in a completely different place that means that the neuromuscular connections are completely in a different place yep and so it does it it all it really kind of rolls into that and she was saying that you know maybe i mean like the old joke is that if you're if you're a husband and you're really feeling frisky that night, then maybe getting up and doing the dishes and the laundry and all that so you can take some of that load off. It isn't that you're being rewarded like the 1950 sitcoms would kind of imply, but it really is that you're taking a, a stress load off of your significant other, which yeah. then allows her to be more prepared to be in a parasympathetic mode to sure. be receptive. Yeah. Yeah, you just took a big, like, it's like, I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do that. It's like, oh, I don't have to do this anymore. And, you know, that that can be really, you know, really special. And here's the other thing is that it's, you know, kind of thinking like from the mom perspective uh, that I talk a lot of my, with my patients about like opening up an anatomy book sometimes is a little bit underrated because how many times Uh like the clitoris and the urethral meatus are close, but they're not that close. And you would think like that, you know, like you, one would know where they're supposed to be stimulating. And here's the other thing regarding expectations is, you know, um, for female orgasms or, you know, people who, you know, vagina owning orgasms, um, external stimulation is required tip in about 80% of the population to actually achieve an orgasm. Only about 20% ish of females can orgasm from just internal penetration. And so, you know, a lot of women don't realize that. I mean, I get women in their forties and fifties who were, sometimes we just do anatomical education and like, what does this do? What does that do? Okay. Now that makes sense. Or it's like my expectation, if there is no external stimulation and you're expecting to be able to have an orgasm, especially if it's the same time as your partner, like, cause that can, you know, even that, like even timing can create an issue or can create a source of stress in a relationship. So the, let's get back to the embryologic issue of that, because when you start talking about embryologic development of the urogenital tract, then that makes you go, aha, simple thing, the clitoris, it's the same thing as the meatus of the penis. And if you're with somebody and they start being immediately rough with the head of your penis, then you're going to be like, what? 
what are you doing? And it's, it's, it's a much smaller, the clitoris is essentially a little tiny organ with tons of nerve endings that is very similar to the penis. And if you realize, oh, it's something similar than being a little bit more there, then once you're aroused, it's very different for men and women. But I, I'm just getting at the fact that if you understand the anatomy, it suddenly changes how you would um, express, how you would actually treat things. Because sure. it's like, oh, yeah. And so that comes back to the embryology of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that we have about nine more shows to do off of the topics that we've touched on because each each one of these, I mean, you've said it about six times today that you don't want to go off on a tangent. And actually, I want you to yeah. on every single one of them because it's going to require, though, lots of deep diving into, I mean, Disperuni itself could be a show. Well, so, <laughs> yeah, so there's all... I, I hinted at that, that I get asked all these questions. I've got a lot of, like, I made the biggest mistake. Um, not mistake, but it was really funny. When I was a fourth-year med student, a quick tangent here. Um, <laughs> I was, so what they did, I went to the University of Nebraska, and they would make us go do small-town medicine. And I worked the ER, like, by myself. And then the attending physician would show up and read my dictations. And a woman came in with her husband, and I believe, you know, I was concerned about pelvic inflammatory disease, PID. Mm-hmm. And so I, I said, uh, um, so he stood in front of all the other doctors, and he's like, hey, Ken gets the uh, Med Student of the Year Award, most thorough physical exam we've had here at our hospital ever. So he's reading it in front of everybody. And um, I dictated, a patient comes in, um, complains of dyspareunia with her husband, and complained of dyspareunia with me today in the clinic. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I dictated it wrong, but uh, yeah. So, anyways, <laughs> he's like, yeah, that's, uh, that's a little too thorough there, buddy. Yeah. So, that's why I was like, nah. So, yeah. Dyspareunia. <laughs> Wasn't it George Bush who said that obstetricians wanted to practice their love with women or something like that? <laughs> but I, I love this whole aspect. It's open so many things that just even this discussion between both, it's not like it, it, sexual health is now we realize could be, it's so complex from both mental Emotional, I get it, but also neuromuscular. And all of this can be worked on and can be enjoyable to work on as a couple. That's the, that's actually the really the biggest takeaway. I think it's having you on here is that um, it's not that you're a pelvic floor expert. It's not that you have this niche. The truth is what I hear from the entire message and what I want to do in future episodes, if you're willing to come back, is there's hope. If you have issues like this, if you have bowel issues, I mean, incontinence, whatever, there's an answer. And I think that someone like Taylor could be someone to not only help you find what the problem is and how to treat it, but get you there much quicker. It, it's probably not going to take the rest In of your life. In a completely holistic approach. Let's yes. get, I mean, I just want to get back to the, to the usual stuff by listening to and not bashing anybody. I'm, I'm, I'm going to bash myself. I went to my doctor who I liked. Somebody says me. I tried to discuss sexual issues and I have just completely freaking blown that shit off because I don't know what to say about it. Yeah. I'm like, well, once I fix your bloating, I'm sure I'm sure it's that you feel gassy, which is why you don't want to have sex. Do you know? Oh my gosh. Okay, this is side note. Probably shouldn't say this. But I've like done 
endoscopy and colonoscopies on people uh-huh. and come out and it's been totally normal. And I will have a fairly berate, aggressive husband, you know, like say, well, what's wrong? And I'm like, well, great news. It's, it's, you know, it's totally normal. No cancer, no polyps or anything. And then, you know, it's like, well, do something because and I'm just like in my mind, I'm just thinking, I think I scoped the wrong asshole here you know? uh, because I think this is part of the problem. Yeah. I think this aggressiveness towards this person about her issue. And I, you know, I say that, you know, clearly tongue in cheek, but sure, I'm sure. like, oh my gosh, it's, yeah. you know, you're upset because you're not connecting with your wife and you being upset at her doing this is creating more gastrointestinal issues, which probably results in that's what she's willing to go to a doctor about. But the reality is there's more going on. Yeah. Or, I mean, just, I mean, I think that's a great segue into like something else we could talk about another time is endometriosis and how it impacts uh, GI motility and can create SIBO-like symptoms and it can create superficial and deep dyspareunia and adenomyosis. I mean, and talk about an upregulated nervous system. Oh my gosh. That's an hour and a half episode in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So one of the most interesting things about this can you give me one good takeaway if somebody does have, mm, let's pick it, dyspareunia, and it sounds like it's due to when you're talking about like muscular thing, is there anything to do up here that they can try to see if it helps release some of the pressure? Yeah, well, you know, like the example of the patient earlier with the vulvodynia or the colleague earlier with the vulvodynia, that was, you know, she had the tongue tie release, but that tongue ABC, the the tongue ABC exercise where you pull the tongue out and say the ABCs, we're essentially trying to impact that same fascial plane. So, you know, it, it may, it may work. It, normally it's more in the, cr- the cranium, which that I'd, I have not successfully found a home exercise program that can help um, that directly. Uh, that's more of, you need someone to facilitate the treatment, but it, diaphragmatic breathing too, nasal breathing. So not belly breathing, diaphragm breathing is not the same as belly breathing. You want to think about a three-dimensional expansion of the rib cage and the upper belly will rise obviously, but you're not trying to fill the lower belly. Uh, so, you know, inhaling through the nose, exhaling through the mouth. So you can off put that CO2. And we also know that increasing, so nasal breathing increases nasal nitric oxide. Nitric oxide can improve all sorts of things in the body, including erectile dysfunction. So. Yeah. I mean, we could, we could talk for a long time, Taylor. I never thought I'd be here talking about the breath work in relation to erectile dysfunction. This, this is, is an amazing discovery. Dude, like, I kind of feel like, like I discovered something that I should have discovered a long time ago, and I feel yeah. like I should be sending apology letters to, like, tens of thousands of patients. Well, you should be sending letters to lots of people. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> whether she'd shown up or not. I, is that my poor sexual performance relation? <laughs> Are you implying that I should... <laughs> I wasn't there Girls for any of that. I don't know. Like, My bad. Didn't know the anatomy. Sorry. <laughs> I wasn't there for any of that. So, well, this is absolutely fantastic. So, um, where in the world can people find you? Yeah. So I'm on Instagram. My handle is Dr. Taylor Reyes. Is it, um, is it uh, Dr. Dr. Yes, D-R-T-A-Y-L-O-R-R-E-Y-E-S. And my website is firephysicaltherapy.com. Those are kind of the only two places you'll find me or anything interesting. So, 
As always, these will be in the show notes, both on uh, YouTube, Rumble, and on uh, the regular page at uh, gutcheckproject.com. Under the episode, we'll have all of the ways to get in touch with uh, Taylor herself. Uh, any So we have those two. Any other normal publications that people keep up with that may be outside of your normal Instagram or website? Oh, no. I'm pretty simple. <laughs> None of this was None of this simple. Is simple. Not one bit of it. No, not yet. TBD. TBD. All right. Well, this is absolutely awesome. So super excited. Um, I'm thrilled to try and educate my colleagues. So if you're somebody here discussing with your gastroenterologist, maybe you should have them watch this episode so we can all learn together. Uh, more about how to improve overall holistic approach and making sure that the pelvic floor is properly taken care of. Definitely. Taylor, I hope this is the first of many episodes you come back and hang out with us. This is uh, fascinating. Yeah, this was fun. I like it. Awesome. Absolutely awesome. Well, guys, that's going to do it for episode number 93. Thank you all so much for being a part of the Gut Check Project. Be sure to like and share this episode with all of your friends and family. Ken, anything to add? No, that's it. Just as always, go to kbmdhealth.com. Take a look. If you uh, need to pick up Atron Teal Pro, which we know polyphenols plus spore biotics, and of course, all the other products that we have on there. And, uh, you know, the, the usual thing, the more people that know about this, the more they can learn about people like this amazing person next to me, Dr. Taylor Reyes. So share, like, you know, the usual shit. Check her out at, fi- at uh, firephysicaltherapy.com or Dr. Taylor Reyes on Instagram. We'll see you all next time. Awesome. Bye-bye. That's a wrap for this episode of the Gut Check Project, and we appreciate you for being a part of it. Be sure to follow us on your favorite platform for podcasts. You can find the GCP on Locals, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Rumble, and more. And you can always check out gutcheckproject.com to find all episodes and interact with the show. Tell your friends and family not to wait to get Gut Checked.